Welcome. Glad that you are here. I'm glad I'm here. I'm excited to be here. I hope you are too. If you're a guest of ours, we're honored to have you with us today. I don't know what you do for fun, what you do to relax. Um, I know some of you play golf. Some of you probably like to read, you know, when you have your own personal time. Maybe you like to cook. We all have hobbies. We have things that we like to do, kind of when it's me time. Personally, for myself, I like to run. Now, you wouldn't think that looking at me, but, but I like to run. When I was younger, I played every kind of sport, enjoyed it. As I got older, I realized that when I got involved with sports, it was just kind of an exercise and embarrassment. But I found out I could run and not embarrass myself too badly. Because you learn to run when you're like two, right? And it never changes. So that I can do this. And I found out that I really enjoy it. Uh, I like it. I'm kind of like the old Melanie song from the 70s, Don't Go Too Fast, But I Go Pretty Far. And I thought running was going to be a safe thing for an old guy like me to do. Turns out I was wrong. Running is one of the most dangerous things you can do as you get older. I'll prove it to you. I used to put in quite a few miles up on this trail up near Highway 301, not too far from where I live. Part of the trail runs right along the highway. Early one morning, I'm up, I'm running on that trail, and I hear behind me this terrible noise. And I look back over my shoulder, and a dump truck has run off of Highway 301 and is laid over. And it's coming at me at about 50 miles an hour. I said I don't run too fast. I ran pretty fast that day. <laughs> I was like uh, Forrest Gump fast. You know, I found another gear, and I was moving. The truck is coming towards me. It smashes through this little fence that separates the highway and the trail. One of the tires came off and actually came in front of me. The truck slid behind me. It, rolled, it slid on into this ditch, rolled all the way over, landed back on its tires, you know, sitting back up right. I go running over to see how the driver is. He's kind of stumbling out of the passenger side door. Several cars stop. In fact, a policeman stopped almost immediately. They're checking on him. They're checking on me. You know, I'm fine. Um, but it was pretty unnerving. In fact, I, I took a couple pictures. That picture on the left is where the truck slid across the trail. The picture on the right is the thing when it you know, came back around and, and landed back up right. I thought to myself, I need to quit running so close to the highway. <laughs> so I started spending more time in Hillsborough River State Park. Beautiful park. Um, I get there early in the morning. I've got the whole park, all the trails to myself. It's a great place to run. There's one particular trail that goes out in the woods for a couple miles, and then it runs back along the uh, river. And I was running that early one morning, and there's this little section there where you uh, come up on this footbridge. And the last big storm, when Hillsborough River uh, got a little bit high, unseated that footbridge and moved it over a couple feet. So to get from the trail to the footbridge, you have to sort of jump across this little spot uh, and land on the footbridge. So I'm coming down this trail like I've done so many times before. I'm watching my feet because there's roots and rocks and everything. And I jump onto the footbridge like I always did. And as I'm in midair, I look down. And there's an alligator sitting on the footbridge, facing me. Now, I'm committed at this point, okay? And you know how people say, everything just happened in slow motion? This did not happen in slow motion. I mean, I'm like, okay, I'm going to come down right beside this gator's face. 
And as soon as my foot hit the wood, that gator jumped into the river. I mean, just that fast. Scared me to death. Now, I kind of wobbled on across the footbridge and, you know, kind of got going again. The very next day, I ran that same trail. I come up to the footbridge. I'm paying attention this time. You know, I'm watching the bridge, not my feet. Um, The gator wasn't there. When I'm on the footbridge, I see him right on the edge of the river. I took a picture of him. There he is. He was waiting for me. You say, now, how do you know that's the same gator? That's the same gator. Okay? We have a history now. He knows me. I know him. So now I'm thinking, maybe I should run not so close to the river. So the very next week, I, I'm going on this trail out in the middle of nowhere, just out, you know, through the palmettos, and real pretty trail, you know, out, out away from the river. I come around a corner, and this is waiting for me. A rattlesnake. Yeah, your preacher is amazing, okay? My life is amazing. Dump trucks, alligators, rattlesnakes. I've faced them all and lived to tell the tale. (laughs) Actually, I ran from them all like a little girl screaming (laughs) as I went. But still, pretty memorable experiences. This morning, we are wrapping up our pretty long sermon series through the book of Acts. And we are actually going to talk about snakes. And we're going to talk about being off the beaten path. And we're going to talk about danger. And we're going to talk about what you do when you find yourself faced with something that you weren't expecting. We've been following the trials and the travels of the Apostle Paul these last few chapters through Acts. I think Paul is uniquely qualified to talk about all those kinds of things. But most of all, what we're going to talk about this morning is faith. If you remember back in the second book of Corinthians, Paul gives kind of a travelogue of what some of the things that that he has gone through on his uh, quest to to live his life in a Christ-like way. Um, Let me remind you of some of what he says. Second Corinthians is in chapter 11. I'm going to pick it up in verse 25. This is Paul. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. We're going to talk about one of those this morning. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. Paul knows what he's talking about when he talks about danger in difficult times. We're going to see that this morning. Let me remind you of where we left Paul a few weeks ago. He's in the city of Caesarea. He's been there for two years in prison because he can't really get a fair hearing in a a Jewish territory. So he invokes his Roman right as a citizen and says, I want to appear before Caesar. I want to go to Rome. And as we pick up the story this morning in chapter 27, Paul is being boarded onto a ship to be taken to Rome. Now, Paul knew he was going to make it to Rome. Because God had told Paul that he was going to make it to Rome. The journey there, however, is going to take a little bit longer than Paul probably expected, and it's going to be a little bit more exciting than he probably expected. But again, Paul knows he's going to get to Rome. 
So they get on their way. They leave in the fall of the year, which is a little bit dicey in that part of the world in that time. Um, And we read this, Acts chapter 27, verse 4. From there we put out to sea again and passed to the Lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. Question, why does God do that? Why does God let you know where he wants you to be and then make it hard for you to get there? Paul knew that he was going to go to Rome. He was supposed to be in Rome. Why does God allow problems and difficulties and setbacks to show up in our lives when we know we're trying to do what we're pretty convinced God wants us to do? And we're trying to be who we're pretty convinced God wants us to be. Now, God told Paul, you're going to get to Rome. There's work for you to do in Rome. I want you in Rome. Then why were the winds against him? Hold on to that question for a little bit. So they're making pretty slow progress. The winds remain against them. They struggle to get to the Isle of Crete. They make it to a port called Fair Havens, and Paul tells the the, the sailors there, you ought to stay here. We need to stay here. If we try to keep going, this trip is going to end in disaster. But the people in charge of the trip, they're going to listen to the experienced sailors a lot quicker than they're going to listen to a chained preacher. The decision is made to make a run for it, to continue the journey. The first few days, the weather is agreeable, but there are storm clouds on the horizon. Literally, there are storm clouds on the horizon. Verse 13, when a light wind began blowing from the south, the sailors thought they could make it, so they pulled up anchor and sailed along close to shore. But the weather changed abruptly, and a wind of typhoon strength, a northeaster, they called it, caught the ship and blew it out to sea. They couldn't turn the ship into the wind, so they gave up and let it run before the gale. We sailed behind a small island named Cotta, where with great difficulty we hoisted aboard the lifeboat that was being towed behind us. Notice the pronoun there, we. Dr. Luke is with Paul in this part of the journey. Then we banded the ships with ropes to strengthen the hull. The sailors were afraid of being driven across the sandbars of Sirtis off the African coast, so they lowered the sea anchor and were thus driven before the wind. The next day, the gale-forced winds continued to batter the ship. The crew began throwing the cargo overboard. The following day, they even threw out the ship's equipment and anything else they could lay their hands on. The terrible storm raged unabated for many days, blotting out the sun and stars until, at last, all hope was gone. The storm rages on until, at last, all hope was gone. The sailors on this boat, they'd lost all hope. The prisoners certainly had lost all hope. In fact, the only person on the boat that had any amount of hope was the prisoner, Paul. Verse 21, no one had eaten for a long time. Finally, Paul called the crew together and said, men, you should have listened to me in the first place and not left fair havens. You would have avoided all this injury and loss. It appears that even the apostle Paul couldn't quite help himself from saying, told you so. You should have listened to me and this wouldn't have happened. But, Take courage. None of you will lose your lives, even though the ship will go down. For last night, an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me, and he said, Don't be afraid, Paul. 
for you will surely stand trial before Caesar. What's more, God in his goodness has granted safety to everyone sailing with you. So take courage, for I have faith in God. It will be just as he said, but we will be shipwrecked on an island. So Paul receives a word from God in the middle of this storm. And basically what Paul tells these seasoned sailors is, I have faith in my God. And you need to have faith in my God as well. Paul tells these men, don't let what you're going through right now cause you to lose your faith. And I want you to pay attention to that sentence because that sentence pretty much condenses my entire sermon this morning. It's kind of the point of my lesson is that one sentence. Don't let what you're going through right now cause you to lose your faith. Let me go back to my earlier question I told you to hang on to. Why does God sometimes make it difficult to get where we know he wants us to be? Why doesn't God just give us clear skies and smooth sailing? That's what we want, right? That's what we look for. In fact, we look for that promise. We want that promise, right? But God never actually makes that promise. He never promises blue skies and rainbows and sunbeams from heaven all day, every day. In fact, we look for the promise, and what we want God to say is, if you're obedient to me, your life will be easy. He never says that. Sometimes being obedient to God actually makes our life more difficult here. Paul spent two years in prison because he was being obedient to God. Paul is on this ship that's in such a a mess because he was being obedient to God. Sometimes being obedient to God actually makes this life a little bit more complicated. Here's the deal. Most of us have plenty enough faith to glorify God when we're where we want to be. It's easy to honor God when we're right where we want to be. But it takes a special measure of faith to be able to honor God and glorify God when we're going through a storm trying to get to where we know we want to be. It's not hard to praise God when we're standing on a mountaintop, is it? It's a lot harder to say, thank you, God, when we're in the middle of a storm trying to get to the mountaintop. And let me tell you something that all of you over the age of about 14 already know. You're going to go through storms. In fact, some of you are in the middle of a storm right now. You're going to go through storms in your life. And sometimes those storms are going to be your fault. Sometimes we just make bad choices. Sometimes we make poor decisions. Maybe it's disobedience. And I can look back and I say, man, that was my fault. I should not have done that, should not have said that, should not have gotten involved in that, and it's my fault. But sometimes you're going to be in the middle of a storm and it's not going to be your fault. Maybe it's somebody else's fault. Maybe somebody else made a poor choice or a bad decision. That's what's going on with Paul right here. You know, Paul's in the middle of this this mess and it wasn't his fault. But then sometimes you're going to find yourself in a storm, and really the only explanation is, I don't know, the winds were against me. Life is just hard. Life is unpredictable. I got a bad break. Sometimes there's really no, no great explanation for the storms that we find ourselves in other than, I'm just in a storm. 
Well, let's get back to the story. Acts 27, verse 33. As the darkness gave way to the early morning light, Paul begged everyone to eat. You haven't touched food for two weeks, he said. Please, eat something now for your own good, for not a hair of your heads will perish. Then he took some bread, gave thanks to God before them all, and broke off a piece and ate it. Then everyone was encouraged, and all 276 of us began eating, for that's the number we had aboard. In this story, there's an awful lot of ways that we see faith demonstrated. Let me highlight a couple of them as we kind of move through the rest of this story. And the first is this. We need faith to trust that God is present in the middle of the storm. Now, intellectually, we know God is with us. Intellectually, we know God is, is near. But sometimes between knowing that in our head and feeling it in our heart, there's a disconnect. Because when the storm is right here, it sure feels sometimes like God is somewhere else. I think we've all probably prayed the sentiment uh, that you uh, see in the Psalm chapter 10. Oh Lord, why do you stand so far away? Why do you hide when I need you the most? Paul spent two years in prison. Where was God? He spent two weeks on this ship being blown out of control. Where was God? Yet Paul has the faith to stand up and tell a boatload of people, again, literally, a boatload of people, God is here. My God is here. Thank you, God. Psalm chapter 16, verse 8. I know the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. And that's an easy verse for us preachers to quote to people who are in the middle of storms. That's a much harder realization to wrap your mind around when it's you that are in the storm. Because sometimes you pray and you pray and you pray and the waves just keep coming. Nothing seems to change. It takes faith to believe that God is present in the middle of my storm. So the ship's getting closer and closer to ground. Uh, they, they, they run aground just like Paul said they would. The soldiers decide we're going to kill all of the prisoners, but the commander of the ship says, maybe we ought to listen to this chained preacher. He seems to have some kind of insight here. And all 276 people on that boat managed to make it ashore. Here's what happens next. I'm in chapter 28 now. Once we were safe on shore, we learned that we were on the island of Malta. The people of the island were very kind to us. It was cold and rainy, so they built a fire on shore to welcome us and warm us. As Paul gathered an armful of sticks and was laying them on the fire, a poisonous snake, driven out by the heat, fastened itself onto his hand. I told you we were going to get back to snakes today. Okay, I'm Paul. I've spent two years in prison on some trumped-up charge that I'm not guilty of. I've spent two weeks on this boat that is, you know, being driven out of control. I'm probably leaning over the edge, you know, puking my guts up, this terrible storm. I endure a shipwreck. I manage to make it to shore. I drag myself out of, the, out of the sea. I'm freezing cold. I'm wet. I'm miserable. There's a fire there. I grab some wood. I throw it on, and a poisonous snake grabs onto my hand. Really? Are you kidding me? What is the deal? 
And Paul's going to learn some more lessons about life in the middle of a different kind of storm. And this is my second point. We need faith to know who we are and what we are when people start accusing us of being something we're not. You ever noticed when you're going through a storm how quick people are to get in line and start assigning blame? To start telling you what you did wrong? To start telling you it's your fault? Now, as I mentioned, sometimes it is my fault. But an awful lot of times it's not my fault. Yet, boy, people love to give us advice in the middle of storms, don't they? They love to tell us what we should have done and and what's wrong with us. So here's Paul with this poisonous snake hanging from his hand. He shakes it into the fire. Notice how the people respond. The people of the island saw it hanging there and said to one another, a murderer, no doubt. Though he escaped the sea, justice will not permit him to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and was unharmed. The people waited for him to swell up or suddenly drop dead. But when they waited a long time and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and decided he was a god. Human nature hadn't really changed much in 2,000 years, has it? People are really fickle. One minute you're a murderer, the next minute you're a god. One minute you're awesome, the next minute you're disgusting. One minute you're my best friend, the next minute you're dead to me. People are fickle. God is not fickle. God is faithful. And you have to be faithful enough to allow God to define who you are. To listen to the voice of God. Because everybody wants to tell you what's going on in your life and who you are and who you should be. We don't need to be listening to our culture or public opinion or Wall Street or Madison Avenue or social media. We have so many people whispering in our ears. Here's how you should look. Here's how you should act. Here's who you should be. And somehow we have become this culture that seems to just thrive on the approval of others. How many likes can I get? How popular can I appear to be? How cool can I look? That is so important to us. It takes faith to filter out all that noise and to listen to God and to find our identity in God. John would say in 1 John chapter 3, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that's what we are. You want to know who you are in Christ? You're a child of God. How many likes will that get? I like that. But we need faith to trust that God's present in the middle of the storm. We need the faith to be able to filter out all the noise and the other voices and listen to God. Then finally, we need faith to be who we should be when we aren't where we want to be. It takes faith to be who we should be when we're not where we want to be. I guess at one time or another, we've all been stuck on Malta, haven't we? Where's Malta? Well, Malta's that place where you didn't plan to be. Malta's that person that you wish you didn't have to deal with. Malta's that situation that you got wrapped up in, and and now you've got to handle it. Paul wasn't planning on being in Malta. That wasn't on his radar. 
That wasn't on his itinerary. He was planning on Rome. He was headed to Rome. He had business in Rome. He knew what was going to wait for him in Rome. And yet here he is on Malta. What do you do when you end up where you don't want to be? Let's keep reading. Verse 7. Near the shore where we landed was an estate belonging to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us courteously and fed us for three days. As it happened, Publius's father was ill with fever and dysentery. Paul went in and prayed for him, and laying his hands on him, healed him. Then all the other sick people on the island came and were cured. As a result, we were showered with honors. And when the time came to sail, people put on board all sorts of things we would need for the trip. Listen, when a storm blows you somewhere where you didn't plan to be, where you didn't want to be, you can complain, you can gripe, you can feel sorry for yourself, or you can ask the question, who can I bless here? Who can I encourage here? Who can I help right here, right now? I am convinced that God's detours, life's interruptions, all those things that we see as setbacks, if we're paying attention, there are some wonderful Jesus opportunities in those times and in those places. Just because you didn't plan on being there doesn't mean God can't use you while you're there. Getting where you want to go in life, arriving where you want to be in life, I don't think it's nearly as important as being who you should be on the way. And I believe that that storm that you didn't see coming, that shipwreck that you tried to avoid, that snake that you weren't expecting to bite, I believe all of those things might put you in a place and might very well prepare you for a time when God can and will use you. Maybe, maybe in a way that he couldn't use anybody else but you because you're there and you're going through that thing. And you can tell somebody about Jesus or you can show the love of Jesus. So this morning, what's the boat that you don't want to get on? What's the storm that you're trying to outrun? What's the snake that just keeps biting Where's the Malta? You didn't plan on being, but here you are. Remember, God's never going to take you to a place where he can't use you. What we need is to say yes to God's travel plans. To have the faith to realize that God's here. I'm not alone. To have the faith to realize that my identity is found in God, no one else. That's who I'm going to look to for answers. And then have the faith to be used by God, no matter where we are. To look for every opportunity we have to be an ambassador of Jesus' grace. That's the faith that God calls us to. Listen, that's the end of this lesson. That's the end of our sermon series through the book of Acts. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. But let me wrap up both by asking this question. As a church family... What can we do for you here now? Let's stand and sing.